Stuff up Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Stuff up Saturday, uplift with love. Stuff up Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Welcome to Self Love Saturday, where loving ourselves is an act of rebellion. This is your host, Dr. Anissa Shomo, your favorite family doctor, joined today by Dr. St. Victor Manny, aka. <laughs> Go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. All right, I'm Dr. Manny. I always like to say welcome to Asylum. I also go by Asylum Papillon on the internet in a lot of different places. Um, my training was, let's see, I went to Harvard undergrad, pre-med. I went to UNC Chapel Hill uh, for med school, University of Miami. I did uh, up until three days into the third year of my psychiatry residency. Then I decided to switch over to uh, write software, virtual reality and video games. Cause it's something I've been writing software since I was like nine mainly for coping, but I made that career change um, to writing software, writing um, you know games for like pretty large distribution. Uh, but ultimately I ended up uh, finding that uh, artificial intelligence and, and psychology were really the same, the psychiatry work. So that's where I am right now, where I've moved to uh, hypnosis, uh, narrative approaches to therapy, uh, and I've incorporated that into my coaching, mindset coaching, and just helping people through the stuff that keeps them stuck and feeling broken. Just a stigma-free way of approaching things. No, that is really amazing. And that's one of the things I talk about in my course um, is, you know, when you're feeling stuck. Because we've all really had that stuck feeling. And I, I, I feel like as doctors, we kind of have that terminology of really understanding the weight of that stuck place. Kind of feel like the stuck in place, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that, that's one of the biggest things for me. Like when you recognize that sometimes it can be hard to recognize it yourself, but people around you may see it and say, you know, you're just not the same. Are you okay? That sort of thing. And you hope that your, your village will recognize it in you, yeah. but sometimes we're very good at hiding it. And so, you know, I hope that one of the biggest things for my new course, 14 day coping skills is really just trying to help people recognize when they are in that stuck place and just trying to figure out how to get unstuck. So therapy is a great way, but going to psychiatrists, of course, is a great way as well. And hypnosis can be a great way. For me, I actually did a mind and body course. That's what helped me get unstuck. So yeah. so many different ways to, to work on trying to get unstuck. Yeah, I think the key thing is to do something. Right. You know, because a lot of times the stigma and the shame and just the unwillingness to admit and be vulnerable to where we are keeps us where we are. Right. And that's the, that's the whole thing about America. Our culture is not a vulnerable one. And so in the course, we talk about that. And But also, our culture really has taught us a lot about destructive coping. You know, yep. like there's not enough, there's not enough instruction on constructive coping and there's not enough examples of it, especially the way the news is. Like all you see is people going and shooting up things, which is definitely destructive coping because yep. Yep. <laughs> you're going to jail, you're right. going to die. Like that's definitely self-destruct right. mode. And so it's just like, how do we get to this place where that's where we figure out like, do we need to even put that on the news all the time? Yeah. You know? Well, they I, need that for profits, but do we need to be right. watching? Yeah. It's just, right. I don't even watch it. That's news. why they structured it. No, I stopped also because I don't need those narratives constantly activated in my mind. You know? Right. And so, I mean, of course, so last episode with Shauna, we talked about um, social media. So that's where I get a lot of my news from now, but it can be a lot too. She talked about Twitter and how she has to disengage from the news on Twitter as well. So it's one of those things where I don't watch, you know, 24 hour news, but definitely you still see all of that stuff on social media and you see people arguing and you see 
you know, all types of just weight, all types of baggage and trauma every day. And so that was, that's what I want this episode to be about is just, you know, constructive coping and destructive coping of humor, because that's, <laughs> that's one of the main ways I cope with so many things. Survival, man. <laughs> Gotta laugh or cry, you know? Yeah. I mean, or, and both, you can do both, but. At the same time. <laughs> yeah. I, I just grew up that way. That was just one of the ways I always love coping. And it's funny to me because I specialize in geriatrics and older adults are the funniest people. And you learn that that's the key to living longer. Yep. When you can like learn how to just laugh about the ridiculousness and craziness of our world and just figure out how to like create space for yourself in that ridiculousness. Yep. <laughs> Live it, you know. <laughs> Live it out loud. Then you can literally be like a hundred. You can just be like, oh my goodness, this is just so ridiculous, you know? It's good for the immune system. (laughs) Yeah, and it keeps the loneliness away, that's for sure. Yeah. So I'm going to, so I I told you before we got started that I've been been using my social media to cope um, constructively by writing, by getting just having like a distraction. So for me, work is kind of coping. And so, of course, as a doctor, you have to, like as a family doctor, as a PCP, I could work 24-7, but that is draining. Um, Because for me, I say sometimes, like, having patients is somewhat like having children because they constantly need stuff. And it's kind of like all day, like, mommy, 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 you know? (laughs) Yep, don't keep asking. (laughs) So, just like parents have to disengage for their children to have a moment for themselves, I have to also disengage from that, from doctoring. And so for me, I love working though. I'm kind of like a workaholic. So my, the way I use my work is by working in a different way. Yeah. Um, so I talked about it at the end of my last episode is that I like to just try to be creative. Like I grew up in a creative space. Like I grew up acting. I was in drama club. I actually was um, the, I announced the news, um, the morning announcements when I was in high school. I always wanted to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was me. So I was kind of like, uh, and I, and I uh, sang, I didn't really dance, but I could dance, you know? So I just grew up really loving music and that sort of thing in the arts. And so for me, um, part of the way I've been healing lately is getting back to writing. Yeah. And so I've been using my social media to kind of just like block out the noise and write about coping and about different things. But I want to confess to you, Dr. Manny, since you are a psychiatrist. <laughs> that part. Yeah. I haven't told a lot of people about really what's been going on in my life and what I've been coping from. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so the I talked about it on, so I write for Cincinnati Herald. I haven't been writing for them lately because I've been writing for myself for my course and everything and on my social media. So um, but I've been on their podcast a few times, so I have talked about it. If anybody listens to the Herald podcast, but I've been having a rough year. Um, I it started around it started around I would say probably November. Um, I literally remember going to have my pre-op for my surgery for my hysterectomy, uh-huh. being in tears about feeling ambivalent about not being able to have children and that sort of thing. And just like the sadness of that, about the finality of it, and just yeah. being like, you know, it is what it is, but still being sad. Yeah. And literally that same day, I got a phone call that my nephew was murdered. Yeah. And so then it was just like mm, super terrible. And I finished, I was at work when it happened. 
and I finished working and I just went home and just cried, 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 cried. And then I went back to work the next day, like nothing happened, yeah. you know? Um, I'm very good at compartmentalizing that kind of thing. Just trying to, I feel like as doctors, that's what we do, right? That's what, that's what people, survive, yeah. yeah, that's what we have to do. Um, and like I said, I'll, I'll, I'm somewhat of a workaholic, so it can be my drug at times too. So I went to work for a couple of days and then um, Fridays I teach. So on Friday, I confessed to my colleagues that I was not okay yeah. and that I was going to be, um, you know, going to Cleveland because my nephew had been killed. And so I'll go to Cleveland. I help my sister plan my nephew's funeral. Yeah. And then while I was there, all this stuff happened with um, like kind of like a retaliation murder. And, and then my brother's name was mentioned and my brother left town because he was like, I don't even know what's going on. Like he was like, I wasn't a part of anything. The feds, like literally the day I went and had my surgery, my dad called me at like really early in the morning and I was up all night. I won't say why I was up all night prepping for surgery, mm -hmm. TMI. I'm not going to say, say the TMI part, but <laughs> prep for surgery and I you don't sleep the night before surgery when they tell you to do all this prep right yeah so my dad called me I don't remember what time it was maybe three in the morning and he was just like I just want to hear your voice and I was like okay dad like, <laughs> so then I went and had my surgery and then after my surgery my dad called me and said this you know the the feds just came and raided my house looking for your brother Wow. And he was just like really sad because you're grieving your grandson, who my father raised like a mm -hmm. child, like that was yeah. his son too. And then now your your other son is now the feds are listening, looking at your house, looking for yeah. them. And so that was a really crazy time. And honestly, in that moment, I was out for surgery, so I kind of like went into into healing mode for my father and tried to build my father up every day. Like that was kind of how I coped in that moment of like every day calling my dad and giving him a pep talk because yeah. when things like that happen, it's like people feel very guilty. And so I kind of put a lot of my energy in the whole time that I was out. Like I was grateful, even though, like I said, you gotta, you gotta laugh at things sometimes and just be like, you know, it was just kind of like the timing, you know, if something like that was going to happen, I was off for six weeks, you know? And so I had time to grieve myself and then I was able to coach my dad and just every day give him a pep talk, like you did the best you could, dad, and you're a good man. And you really tried to instill values in everybody. And it's not your fault. And this, this is a crazy world. You know what I mean? Like this happens to a lot of people. Yeah. So I spent, you know, a lot of my time doing that. And then I turned to comedy. So I watched probably all the comedies on Netflix. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> yep, escape, right? Gotta go somewhere, but here. <laughs> I could watch probably all of the ones that I was interested in. I went through Amazon Prime. I went through HBO Max. I was like, I'm glad I got a few dollars because I got all the services. <laughs> <laughs> Line them all up. So it was that. And then it was just like the trauma kept coming. So my my my, uh, my brother did get picked up by the police. He's currently in jail right now. He's doing okay, but it's just going to take a long time for this to play out. Yeah. Don't think that he was involved. They don't have any evidence that he was involved other than the people who were involved trying to turn on him yeah. and say that he was involved. But um, it's just so it's just been a really and of course. All of that really tra traumatized my family, especially in Cleveland, because 
now we all have the same last name. Yeah. So we're, it's a bunch of girls, but none of us changed our name. Yeah. And so we don't have a common last name. So it's all over the news in Cleveland and my, my family's going to work like, oh no. But fortunately for me in Cincinnati, it wasn't yeah. on the news here. So I was grateful for that. Um, but you know, they got through that and it was just, a, it was just been a crazy time from that whole situation that we're still dealing with. But then on top of that, um, one of my cousins, her daughter was diagnosed, she was diagnosed with cancer. I'm not, I cannot remember when it happened. It happened around 2020, beginning of 2020, she got diagnosed with um, like bone cancer, osteosarcoma. And so she went through chemo for about a year and, you know, supposedly went into remission, but then it came back with a vengeance. And so she was, she was, a, she was enrolled in hospice around the same time that my nephew was killed. Yeah. And so then she died in February and before right. she died, I'm sorry. It's just so many things. Not There's so right. many things. Yeah. I'm just like talking incessantly, just telling you about all my trauma. Oh, I mean, it's almost like it's my job, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost like this is what I do. <laughs> I just want to get it out there because, you know, I've been holding it all in. Yeah. And I felt like this would be the moment to just even say, like, I'm dropping my course and I'm going to start talking about it more so that people can know, like, I've been constructive coping for the past yes. seven, eight months, you know, dealing with all of this. But yeah, so my little cousin died. So we lost two young people in our family. And then um, my uncles all died. I had like three uncles die in a row in their 70s. Um, so it's just been, all of that happened. And then one of my partners died. Wow. One of my partners died who I work with. And so then that happened in February. And so we're all trying to pick up the pieces of taking care of his patients. And his his patients have been his patients for 30 years. So they're all crying, coming into the office, crying and grieving. So we're grieving with his patients. And it's just been crazy. When it rains, it pours. <laughs> it rains. I said it's been like a hurricane, man. Yeah. It's been hurricaning. But yeah, so then some some more stuff happened. But the last thing I will even say. Because I didn't even tell you this. My cat died. My cat got cancer Damn. and died. On top of all that. Wow. Yeah. So it's just been How a hurricane. My cat. So we've had our cat for, we had our cat for 12 years. She, we don't know how old she was. She showed up on our doorstep one day. Like yeah. cats are funny that way where they're like, moving <laughs> in. We're going to be roommates now. <laughs> adopt a family and there's that. <laughs> So we don't know how old she was when she came, but we had her for 12 years and she was just really funny. And obviously she got to the point for me being a geriatrician, I'm really all, you know, all about palliative care. And my husband is a psychiatrist. He, um, he does consults. So he sees people suffer in the ICU and that sort of thing. So we, uh, so we really didn't want to see her suffer. Yeah. So, you know, we tried to provide her with the, with a good uh, transition into death. And it was very peaceful the way it all happened. We actually ended up doing like a, um, like a home euthanasia. Yeah. So I never knew that that was possible, but cats hate going in the car. So my husband yeah. was really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't add to injury. Just keep it home. Yeah. Right. So when we found that out, um, it was actually on my birthday, my um, birthday party. Somebody had come over and I was like, my cat's dying. And they were like, oh, did you know they have a home euthanasia service? And so we got on that. As soon as everybody left, we called to try to set that up because my husband was, that was kind of weighing on him a little bit because he was one we took her to the vet. He was like, I just don't feel like 
it's right to put her in the car just to go die, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So that's all my secrets, Manny. <laughs> all right. They're safe with me. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm telling them to the whole world on this podcast. Right, right. Man. <laughs> right. If someone brings it up, I, it wasn't me. <laughs> you know, I do confidentiality like it's my job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's so, you know, for me, the, and that, it's kind of one of those things that people really pay attention. The times when I'm most productive and I'm working a lot and when people see me kind of go into that hibernation mode of yeah. working, but you don't really see me, it's generally because I'm dealing with a lot of stuff. And I don't know, it's just hard and this kind of thing to really, to really talk about it all because it's just, for me, that's just so, I just don't like you know how some people can grieve and do a lot of stuff like on social media and talk about all this stuff. Like I have really, I, I can't when, like I said, when it's me, when it's me, it's one thing. Like when I dealt with my whole cancer situation, like I basically just had like a social media diary talking about what I was going through because it was helpful for other people. Yeah. And that was kind of how I even got into a lot of my business is through social media and using it as constructive coping for like venting and, and just being a, being a, face of vulnerability you know yeah. yeah that's key that's a major contribution yeah so when it was me and my story it was easier to to do that but it's harder when it's like you know you got all these people and there's criminal charges and criminal things going on and it's like I can't I couldn't I can't really you know speak on it because then people try to attack you and yeah. you know and I'm just like Y'all don't know us. Y'all don't know what's going on. It's been so crazy, Manny, but. Uh, you've been holding strong. I mean, I've been seeing your social media. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes and, sublimation and laughter and, you know, loving tears is all you have. Yeah. And for me, it's just been the writing, you know, around that time. Because I used to have somebody write my social media for me. Yeah. And so I had been planning to change up my social media anyway, but I started writing my own content. And just using it as a way um, to just get some of some of like how I'm how I'm still standing out there and just show people um, just examples because I feel like especially as Black people we just don't get enough examples. And like I said, as America, we don't see enough of it on the media at all. We see as destructive coping, but especially as Black people, we need more positive images of coping. Yeah, and yeah, we definitely need role models in that space. We're prone to like holding stuff in avoiding being criticized stigmatized mm-hmm. we're so busy trying to look strong that we make ourselves weaker right and for me that's why i like doing this podcast because like i said i don't necessarily want to go on social media and talk about all of that but i don't mind talking about it here and with the right people yeah. um, because i feel like you've been a really great example of that and, and talking of, and using your social media for humor and laughing and thank um, you just yeah <laughs> If you like laugh or cry, like I said, laugh or cry. Or both. Or both. Thank God. So I want you to, I mean, I don't know. Do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about like what what got you involved? And so I guess I should explain a little bit. So um your social media, you use to write a lot of comedy, like you post really funny memes and you've created a space for us as well, like a group for us to come together and laugh at memes and and just different videos and that sort of stuff. And we try to keep it respectful. Like we try not to do like any kind of like non-PC, yeah. you know what I mean? Like try to keep it respectful and not like racist or sexist or that, that kind of thing. 
just and just keep it you know as fun as possible while also being healthy. PC. Yeah. yeah, ultimately healthy so that everyone could feel. My vision was that we could have a space where everyone could feel that they could be vulnerable and could put things that they thought were funny, yet at the same time just uh, not create a triggering space, so to speak. Right. So that no one would feel as if they were being ousted from the group. Right. Because one of the most important parts of laughter is laughter can be constructive or destructive. And when you feel as if people are laughing at you instead of with you, then you lose a lot of the benefits. One of the main benefits of laughing is uh, that sense of belonging and the associated oxytocin, which is, you know, to geek out, it's anxiolytic. It pushes right. your cortisol down, you know. Also laughing when you're part of the group allows you to, it's a safe play approach. So it allows you to try different frames of reference. It allows you to get to know people. And I think it was Oscar Wilde that said, uh, when you tell the truth, you have to be funny, otherwise they'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I was like, yeah, it's true. Um, right. Uh, and when I was, you know, doing practicing medicine the traditional way, uh, it was challenging because a lot of times the message I would get is you have to be serious, particularly as a black male, you have to make sure people take you seriously by holding that role real tight. And with me, uh, I've always been more a believer of uh, that we heal by uh, contrib contribution and by being at the same level. Mm -hmm. If I'm trying to be up here and pretend I've never been through the things that you're going through now, then I can't uh, connect with you at a level of equal, like a symmetric level where I can say to you, the reason I understand these things is because I was there and this is what I did. Right. Uh, it's a lot easier to do that when we laugh along the same things. It opens us up to like realize that the things that we stigmatize, the things that we hold in shame, others also happen to have that same point of shame. And if we could both laugh about it, we can resonate uh, at a state of vulnerability. You know, it's, it's, right. it's escapist, but at the same time, it's, it's a form of sublimation. Right. And that's why I love comedy because it's just kind of like, like I said, it's what I've learned from my older adults. It's like, we have to kind of look at how ridiculous our society is. And that's the point of satire often. Like how ridiculous are we? Like we think we're so fancy <laughs> and so, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, and so I agree with you. Like that's one of the um, things I wrote on my Dr. Chabonneau's page. Like if you come into my office and my colleagues tell me this all the time, they'd be like, you'll just be in a room with your patients laughing, 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 laughing. But it's like, but that laughter helps me get to being like, okay, well, but this isn't funny. Your A1C ain't funny. You know, yeah. <laughs> we got, we yeah. got to do something about right. this, you know? Right. So that's the thing. Like I do try to tell the truth, but I try to put a little funny spin to it. Like, I have these yeah, a little sugar makes the makes the medicine go down, you know. Right, exactly. You know, that's what um that's you know that that saying too that they say about you get more you get more bees with honey. Yep. You know, yep. so that's what I you know in my office that's generally the the vibe I try to create, and so I've you know made my appointments longer. Yeah. I've tried to make my have longer appointments so we can get in a little bit of a little bit of just talking about what's going on in our world and talking about what's going on in the world overall telling a few jokes if it's if it's slight if it's in that kind of mood but most of the time it is um and obviously you know i do a lot of grief counseling and so you know but e even then even in a grief counseling i try to tell a few jokes because it really does it really is part of the healing process to, yeah, yeah. to like um so let me tell you i'm gonna tell you one thing that uh, i had a grief patient Okay. Um, so it's actually from my sister. It's my sister. My sister Kay is a um, a nurse practitioner, and so she started as a geriatric nurse practitioner. She just went back and got her psychiatry nurse practitioner, 
And she told me, so she was working in a similar population that I work with now. And she was like, I'm gonna give you this little uh, tidbit and you can use that for your patients. So my sister, <laughs> I come from a, fun, a, fa- a funny family. Like my dad is hilarious. And just like a lot of people in my family are just hilarious, you know? Yeah. That's a good family. <laughs> right, exactly. So my sister is like, all right, you can use this for your patients. It's a good one. So she, t- she said, um, so, you know, we have a lot of depression, anxiety in our family. And so my sister has experienced that. And that's good. And that's what I feel like helps me be a good doctor as well. Like I've experienced it as well. And so I can connect with people on that level. And I talk about it and I try to destigmatize it as well. Like I've been there and this is what helped me or I haven't experienced that, but I know that this has helped some other patients who've been there and it's okay, you know, to, to, to do whatever you need to do to feel better. Right. So my sister, when she was going through her depression, she said that it felt like a large man just laying on you all day telling you you're not gonna get up and you're not gonna do nothing yep that sounds right <laughs> that sounds like, exactly right <laughs> so she um she said that she started giving him a name mm-hmm. she named him james she said james you better get off of me i'm gonna get up i'm gonna clean this house like <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. That's one of the main things when I was depressed is I had to like uh, one of my like the small steps. I had to break stuff down to small steps because at one point I would lie to, lie in my bed till like 1 p.m. I would get at 1 p.m. and beat myself up and then go back to sleep at 2 p.m. Just yeah. You know, it's just like I knew that the sleeping wasn't going to make the world go away. But I also knew that I, I didn't feel hopeful or, or capable of when I was awake, making it go away. So it's just, I don't know what I was waiting for from the outside, but every day it's like, I, you know, as far as James, I felt like I couldn't breathe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I, you know, and I, I would, when I would wake up in the middle of the night, sometimes uh, I had this depression and anxiety. So a yeah. lot of times my brain would be like, your nose holes are closing up, you uh, know, it's just, just yeah. irrational stuff. And, you know, like, I think ironically, that's when dark humor comes into play. Yeah. A lot of times you can't, it's, well, I couldn't laugh at some of the more lighthearted stuff. I could not, I couldn't identify or resonate, but yeah. it's just like some of the darker humor, just ironically, there's a lot of humor about suffering. Yeah. And the laughter comes from the pain often. So that's the stuff that was able to resonate with me. And ultimately, like you said, I, I wrote a lot on um, social media because one of my main things was uh, the whole time I was in psychiatry, um, like traditional practice, what I saw was that people felt lonely. Mm-hmm. So the second you start to do something that's not normative, uh, people, uh, and you show signs of it, people start to distance from you mm-hmm. uh, and they become uncomfortable, almost as if it's contagious. Right. Uh, and so one of the things I wanted to express is even as someone who knew my way inside of mind, that I uh, the suffering kicks in and everything that you, everything that I knew disappeared, <laughs> you yeah. know, I couldn't, I couldn't use the tools from within. And so my main thing was to let people know that from here, from in here, you know, it is, it, it is like this deep pit. It does feel like it never ends. It does feel physically terrible. And, you know, you, you feel worthless. You feel guilty for things you have nothing to do with. And it is what it is. That's the way it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely have been there before. I remember being that way. I, I haven't felt that way in a long time. And that's, but that's also one of the ways that I'm able to connect with people. I talk about, I have been there before. Um, and 
what really did help me pull me out of that was people around me trying to be like, you're better than this. Like you gotta, you gotta figure out something. You gotta like, you know, just being encouraging, like, like you gotta know your worth, you know what I mean? Yep. And they, but they, but they told me, even when I didn't feel my worth, they told me that I was worthy, you yeah. know? And that's the whole thing. I think that when you're in that space, that, that kind of broken space, that stuck space, that's that sunken place. Yeah. Um, you, you often, I don't know. It's kind of one of those things. It's not necessarily, you don't feel like you're worth more, but you just feel like this is my life now. And that's, yeah. that's just how it's going to be. Um, you don't really see you. It's hard for you to see that light at the middle of the tunnel. You know, yeah. you're just in a, you're just in a tunnel. You're right. just in a what tunnel. Light? What light? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, no, sorry, go ahead. No. So, and so a lot of times, you know, when you're in that, in that uh, tunnel, yeah. you start to make fun of the things that are there. And that dark humor yeah. kind of comes in. Like, what are these rats doing? You know? Right? I mean, if we're going to be here, we might as well pull up a chair, you know, you know, get my <laughs> ratatouille on. Yeah. <laughs> there is no bottom because with me the more like you said when it rains it pours you know I, I when I was in my depression it was like uh in my case I had my business went belly up so I lost my house lost my cars wow. uh, ended up getting divorced wasn't near my kids uh and then my ex ended up you know catching cancer she passed away it all came back to back you yeah. know and my oldest son you know he, he started wilding you know, and it just, yeah. it was like nonstop. And so every time that I didn't think, think didn't think things could get worse, they did, mm-hmm. you know? And so at one point, like you said, it's uh, at some point you got to use where you are and make that the place you serve from. Mm-hmm. And what I found was a combination of gratitude of, for whatever. Like when I woke up in the morning, I was like, thank God I woke up this morning and I'm not homeless. And I managed to find a place, you know, I had a couple yeah. of buddies, you know, we were working together and, you know, basically we kept each other alive. You know, we laughed, we joked and, uh, you know, I rebuilt the business and all that. But ultimately, the most important thing at the bottom is for me was to contribute and to contribute to people that reflected the value that you were putting out. It's easy to pour and pour and then people could be entitled to your help mm-hmm. or, you know, resentfully dependent. <laughs> you know they, right. could, they could be human succubus but right uh, i have a lot of that in my family and it's it's hard and it and it definitely makes you question your worth and your value because yeah. it's like two people treat you like like you're not important and so yeah. like even if they're using your resources <laughs> right yeah it's very weird and i and i've you know and, I, and i've i definitely can relate to that um, and yeah. you have to distance yourself from those kind of like you know people who are like blood sucking leeches yeah. you really have to because you know leeches can kill you you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know you have to be hypovolemia is real yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. you can't yeah, exsanguinate so. yeah so that's and that's what and that's what helped me when i was in that place because i have i have a lot of older sisters and my but my two older sisters my sister Kay and my sister carla they were the ones who built me up yeah. um so that's what I say too. Like, you know, you try to figure out how to build a better mindset for yourself, like that gratitude journal, trying to like, you know, just find some kind of humor in whatever situation you're doing, but also surrounding yourself with people who share similar values and who, who see the value in you um, will definitely help you feel like you can be able to keep going. Um, 
And so service is like one of the, you know, service and surrender, you know, accept things as they are, accept yourself from where you are and serve from there. Exactly. You know, just um, especially if there are people who, you know, I think uh, Frank Kearns, one of the marketers, he said that uh, you only have to be two weeks ahead of whoever you're helping. Right. You know, like, you know, if I'm six feet deep and you're seven feet deep, I'll tell you how to get up to six feet. Right. Exactly. That's valuable. And hopefully the guy that's at five feet will whisper a little something to me. Exactly. You know, reach yeah. out to each other. You know, and yeah. laughter allows that to happen in a non-defensive way. Right. Because we can point at something. We could joke both, both joke about it, knowing that when we're alone, we got a little bit of it in us. And that's why we're laughing about it. Right. You know, and that, exactly. that allows a space of uh, reframing, looking at it from different perspectives. And like, like I said, with the Oscar Wilde quote, uh, you know, it, it's, challenging to hear things that feel like a direct attack or a criticism particularly when you're when you're down when you're on your back yeah and that's usually the time that you need the feedback most so they can stop doing the thing that's keeping you down there right you know and so laughter allows you to um just come to realize like in laughter there's love right because someone's pouring the time to be at the same frequency as you uh and to like especially laughter in a small group, a small intimate group, it means, you know, we could cry together and then laugh together. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. Like I tend to, I tend to have friends who can, who are, who also love humor and wit because some people just, you know, they, they say that like humor is like a, what is it? What do they call it? Like a mature coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the mature ones. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel there's like some people <laughs> there's denial, there's a projection. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and that's what. But there are a lot of people who live in a denial land and who really can't. You know, a lot of what humor is is really giving you a reflection of yourself, right? Yeah, it's, it's like holding a mirror up to you, like like I said, like how ridiculous are we? How ridiculous is this? How ridiculous is am I? You know what yeah. I mean? But not everybody. A lot of people are kind of can be in that in that denial space or they they have a hard time taking accountability and they I don't know I feel like some people like to kind of break from reality like I feel like yeah. a lot of people in my family do kind of this reality break thing and just kind of recreate their own reality and their own story yeah. instead of being honest and for me I would rather just be honest and and laugh at whatever I can find humor in it and yeah. find other people who are that way like most of my friends are those kind of people who could just be like, yep, I did that. It was yep. dumb. You know? <laughs> but we, you know, laughter allows us to pass the information on to each other. Right. You know, yeah. You're laughing and you're learning at the same time. And plus later on you could think back and be like, hey, that was funny. I need to not do what they said. You know, so <laughs> exactly. propagates the information. Laughter is one of the those emotions that it, it propagates. You know, right. if you can tell someone something they need to know in a hilarious way. You know, and we see how viral memes are getting. Right. Communicate a point of view, or you can you can tell someone. You know, they're more effective than proverbs, really. Right. They really are. Like the storytelling. I love storytelling, especially as a family doctor. Like I love the stories of people, and I'm really good at storytelling, which really I feel like makes me effective at a lot of things. But absolutely, it's just um, and that's why that's what comedians do. Like I love. So of course, you know, every comedian is going to be controversial because that's what they do, right? Absolutely. Yes, their job. <laughs> right. Their job. Right. So I know that um 
like uh, Dave Chappelle can be quite controversial at times, but it's yeah. kind of interesting because the controversy that he's often has is really is often true. Yeah. You know, like he generally is saying right, <laughs> right, you know, like he he um he's generally just stating his own feelings about different things or um <clears throat> just how he's kind of processed and compartmentalized different things. So um I I really enjoy his comedy and I've always been a big fan of him. Um, for that reason, because he's really he's really great at storytelling. Yeah. And just being vulnerable. You know what I mean? Like a lot of um, that's what a lot of comedians do. They try to be vulnerable. But some of them, some of some comedians are better at poking fun at other people instead yeah. of themselves. Yeah. And so I really do appreciate the comedians who poke fun at themselves or how they feel. And, 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 and then often like Dave Chappelle talks about how he knows he shouldn't say things or he knows he shouldn't feel that way. But that's how, that's just how I feel. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're not- yeah, no, I, and you 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 gotta respect that to a certain yeah. level right. that a person's willing to put that truth out and and stand behind it um and you know people's feeling do get hurt in different places and i'm not saying it's right, right. but at the same time i i'd honor that instead of hypocrisy right yeah you know, or, I'd or know people lying yeah i'd rather know where yeah. i stand with someone you know particularly right. like you know when I, I i trained out here in north carolina and, you know, so a lot of times I'll be out in the mountains and I'd rather someone, you know, directly, <laughs> you know, tell me a racist joke instead of me being in my face smiling until the evaluation. And right. then I look, you wrote me a terrible letter recommendation. Let me know where we at. So I, we don't right. stop pretending. Exactly. And that's, allows you to let you know people know how you truly feel. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, tell the truth. It'll be funny. Like you said. <laughs> Well, it will kill you. After a while, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the but, court jester was the only one that could tell the king the truth and make it, you know? They used right. to kill the messenger back in the day. Right, exactly. And that's generally what happens a lot. It's like you kill the messenger, but that's what the comedians do. They 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 talk about the hypocrisies of our society um and different things like that. And and really give us something to think about. And obviously, you know, there's all types of ways it can go wrong, like that whole, you know, Chris Rock. Uh, the Will Smith situation, you know. Yeah. So that whole thing, like, I haven't talked about that a lot because I don't know. I feel like obviously Chris Rock could have gotten some feedback that it was a sore subject for Jada. Yeah. The problem I had was like when you're a comedian doing your job. For me, I could empathize with Chris Rock because as a as a doctor, we say things all day every day that people don't like. Yep. That's part of the job, yeah. Right. So, and people say things to us all day that we don't like. Yeah. So, if I went around slapping everybody who was disrespectful to me, like I would be in jail. Yeah. And if people came and could, you know, I, and there, there was recently a doctor who was who was killed because yeah. somebody didn't like the way they were managing their pain or the way they did their surgery, and so I, I don't know, I felt uncomfortable about that whole thing because I was like, that's kind of dangerous, like. Yeah. yeah, and it's a bad precedent to set. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, ultimately, there are certain boundaries that shouldn't be broken. It's like a third wall type of thing. Right. But once one person kind of breaks the seal, <laughs> then other people are like, hmm, I've been thinking about doing that and I didn't think it was doable. But now he, he did it, you know? Right. But ultimately, um, yeah, it just. Because immediately it's, after that, Dave Chappelle was attacked. You exactly, know? Exactly. <laughs> Somebody jumped exactly. on the stage. And that's yeah. what I was trying to tell my friends. My friends and I were talking about in the group chat. 
And they were like, well, you can't blame somebody's what other people do on somebody's action. I'm like, no, that's dangerous. Because I'm like, how many school shootings have happened since Columbine? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there there is such a thing as a copycat. There is such a thing as someone giving you an idea that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Right. A lot of times people are looking for opportunities to do certain things and wouldn't the 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 incredulity serves as as a defense. Right. No, I couldn't possibly do that. Oh, he did. Right. Exactly. And that's that was the thing to me that was, you know, I just felt like it was like it could be a ripple effect through through any kind of profession, like comedians or actors, actresses, doctors, teachers, communicating. Right. And so I felt like, you know, anybody who's working with the public, you feel I feel like our culture in America is just very disrespectful in general, because I felt like so many people thought that what Will Smith did was okay. Yeah. And I know that people are human and make mistakes. But you have to understand that that is not okay and that you cannot just go around anytime you feel disrespected, assaulting people, people, you know? And so there were so many people who were like, I would have done the same thing. And I'm like, you would be in jail. Like, don't you understand that jail is there for a reason? And First of all, you wouldn't have made it up to the stage. Right. (laughs) They would have body dragged you. Right. And that's what I thought was kind of dangerous about it is because there was no consequences. Yeah. You know, like at that moment. Yeah, and give him his award afterwards, man. <laughs> right, like I was just like, this is insane, and I, I, I think that sometimes for me, just, just the kind of person I am, somewhat intuitive, and I can understand, I can see something, I can see like the bigger picture yeah. of things often that a lot of people can't see. Like a lot of people saw one interaction happen between two men, right? And I was like, nah, this is bigger than the interaction between two men. Absolutely. Like this is gonna have ripple effects. This is not good. Like this is gonna, and I just feel like so. There's been so many moments in American culture where just like disrespect. I don't know. Like it's just like our culture just values disrespect and like not controlling our emotions. Like I hate that so much. Yeah, the impulsivity is almost being rewarded at this point. You right. Know, social media and these short uh, reaction cycles. It's like anybody can blurt anything at any time and have an audience. Right bad behavior becomes a magnet, you know, and other people come together and make it a norm almost. Right. And that's one of the things we talked about when I talked to Shauna last week was about just, um, I feel like our culture has changed so much over the past 20 years since the internet has happened. Or maybe it was something I talked about with Rochelle, but just in the past 20 years, because I graduated, I graduated high school in 2002. So in 2002, we still had dial-up internet. You know? <laughs> 56k right so like since there's been high-speed internet and computers in our pockets like the iphone is not even has not even been around that long so you think about like all this stuff is not is not been around that long but just the just the the ability to send so many disrespectful images to Mm -hmm. so many people in a short amount of time and then even just like reality tv i feel like all of these like images of disrespect 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 all the time has really has such an effect on our community, like people often say, well, I don't know what's wrong with the kids today. They've been habituated to this stuff. Stuff that should shock and embarrass people no longer serves as a boundary anymore. No. Stuff that we used to keep to ourselves and even like things that used to be private. You know, it used to be that you got to see someone's kids' pictures if you guys had that kind of relationship. Right. Now, just about anybody can hop on your stuff and know all your business, know what you do for your holidays, and then the comparisons kick in. Right. 
and and the judgments like there was somebody who posted something about like a picture of her kid and he was posing he had a bunch of money he was young he was posing with a big a bunch of money and he had us um it was on facebook in a facebook group today so, so they you know they were like i don't care what anybody thinks and just like why are you posting this then you know yeah, well, you know, ironically, yeah. Right, it's like the external validation that people seek, but then when they get the backlash, then they want to argue with people, and it's just like, well, if you hadn't posted this picture of your child in the first place, there wouldn't be any backlash or any conversation, you know? It just used to be a time when um, it took effort to get that level of amplification. You had to build authority, you had to build relationships, you had to do something significant enough for it to be heard about. Right. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, look what I just ate <laughs> or look at this dance that everyone's doing that I'm doing with the same right. music, making these faces. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's, no. it's habituating. I mean, yeah, I, and I it's, too much information come in all at once. Right. It's information overload. And it's like the shock value. People really, it's kind of like we're becoming like a menstrual show, you know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Just like one big mystery show of people trying to outdo each other. Yeah. Yeah. People just really trying to outdo each other. And I really try. You know, I mean, you look at like everything's gotten just out of proportion, just trying to look that much louder, bolder, and bigger, whatever, you know? Yeah. And it's, and these two, we need to figure out a dollar back because there's a lot of problems associated with valuing the loudest craziest looking mm-hmm. um this most disrespectful person in our society like that's not what we need to to do because it's, it has a lot of dangerous effects but it also erases our sense of normalcy like yeah. if you have everybody just being loud disrespectful like how do you accomplish anything yeah because i'm dealing with that right now in my office in my medical office we have we have somebody coming loud <laughs> Yes, we have like one of our workers, you know, it's just, it can be that way. And it's so disruptive. It's very disruptive. And, and But they don't think they're doing anything different yeah. because this is what society, like this is what they consume all day, every day. Yep. It's people acting like this. They don't think, and so that's the whole thing. That's the problem now. Cause that's what people are like, what's going on? Cause they go to school and they're disruptive. Mm-hmm. They're in college and they're disruptive. They go to work and they're disruptive. Like my dad literally just was working a job at 70 years old, he was working at the casino, like at a racing know, in Cleveland. And he just quit because the young people were just so disrespectful. Like he, you ask them to do their job and they want to cut you out for doing a job. So it's like, that's part of why nobody has any workers because people yeah. don't know how to take direction and feedback of like, you know, you need to do your job like this, or I need you to clean it like this, or I need you to do, cause that's what my dad generally does. My dad, my dad has, has done a lot of things, but one of his areas of expertise is teaching people how to clean. Like he created a course and everything. So sometimes he'll go and like work and like, you know, he'll get bored at home and be like, I need a few dollars. Let me go and yeah. teach some young people how to clean. You know? <laughs> so- yeah, learn, but nowadays. <laughs> no, like it's still old saying that. Cause I remember my parents used to be sounding like that, but now here we are. And it's like, okay, I, I see what they were talking about. I see what they're talking about, but it's to an extreme now though, too. It's yeah. definitely to an extreme because it just makes pretty much most workplaces um, dysfunctional and unsafe, yeah. you know? Yeah. And what we used to laugh about is, has changed too. And now I think a lot of laughter has developed a sense of uh, cruelty to it. Yeah. You know, uh, there's more places to laugh at 
people's more intimate, more vulnerable things. Right. You never know when you'll pop up on the YouTube, uh, you know, anything that you could have happening to you, someone pops out a camera and next thing you know, you're a laughing stock. Right. Yeah. And that's and that's what a lot of people said about Will Smith was that, you know, part of why he was probably triggered by that whole moment was because of everything that's gone on with Will, Will and Jada with people yeah. constantly harassing him because I have no idea why it's anybody business with Jada, Pika, and Will Smith doing their bedroom. Right. Right. Like, I have never commented on any of it because I'm just like, I was raised as a Muslim. Like, that's yeah. the whole thing for me that's so ridiculous is that people just out here acting like like polygamy and all types of stuff haven't been around forever. Yeah. You know? It just baffles me. And I'm just like, that. that is not any of my business. If if men hundreds of years ago, centuries of years ago had multiple wives and if women wanted to do it now, if that's what they want to do, that's not none of my business. So I understand that a part of it, like people were just like, you know, he's tired of being bullied. And it's just like, I don't know that Chris Rock was part of the people who were bullying him, though. And, uh, I don't think that he was because nah, he received all that built up, you know, that built up aggression from all the times he didn't do anything. Right. You know? So and that's the whole thing. Like people have really harassed their family. So I understand that hurt people hurt people kind of yep. kind of concept. But my whole thing is I want people to heal. Yeah. I don't want you to go around hurting people because there are a lot of consequences for that. Yep. it's it's uh it's destructive you know yeah. absolutely yeah, you know? It, it, it makes you know it, it basically creates a, a form of implicit censorship right where you're about to say something you know and here's the thing <laughs> the irony is that it'll censor the stuff that needs to come out meanwhile right. you'll have people putting out the stuff that doesn't need to come out <laughs> Right. You know, it's it's like it's not like oh, okay, we're we're becoming more polite. No, we're we're modeling negative behaviors, and at the mm-hmm. same time, uh, the subtler, more playful things are getting misinterpreted. And everyone's at the same time as everyone's putting their business out, everyone is more easily offended nowadays too. Right. <laughs> so we're creating more space for judgment while we're becoming more judgmental. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. That's what happened with the Smith family. It's like, you know people really have passed a lot of judgment as because you know they've tried to be vulnerable and talk about whatever they're going through and then people have really attacked them and that's what I don't like that's one of the things that's why I don't really like Twitter that's one of the things that Sean and I talk about Twitter is just rough but Instagram can definitely be exactly the same way um, as far as people you know reposting videos and just talking all types of crap and YouTube of course so I personally try to watch mostly like comedy yeah. like shows um like uh comedians doing like a full thing away from social media i do follow some comedians like on twitter like i follow the daily show on twitter facebook on uh, instagram yeah. i follow robert jr from the daily show i follow quite a few uh comedians who i feel are respectful and, and not bullies like i don't like bullies like online bullies i try not to follow them if i know that they're online sometimes you don't know you know what i mean yeah. but i try to avoid the bullies um, the online bullies. Um, and I try, I personally try not to be on there too much. Like I literally get on there, write my stuff, look there at your you stuff, go. laugh and bounce. Cause I'm working, like I'm busy. Like I don't, you know what I mean? Like, or I'm writing, like I, I just do all types of other things. Like I go for walks or go for a swim. Cause it's going to be a hundred degrees today. So I'm probably going to go swim. Right. 
go have dinner with you know my students or with my husband hang out by the fire like I think that the screen time if like one of the things that we could like that's part of in my um in my course I gave a lot of different uh in my toolkits yeah most of the most I didn't and I kind of wanted to say this but I kind of just left it out but most of the things that I had on there were just focused on like no screen time yeah you know like trying to have as little eye contact right <laughs> yeah like game night that's one of the that's one of the things sleep like go to sleep what Man, sleep makes all the difference. I remember not getting to sleep in med school. I was not a happy camper. No, like that's <laughs> one of the things. <laughs> that's one of the things I talked about in the first part of my course is that when my husband and I were both in residency, like our marriage was not the best. We got yeah. married when I was finishing residency and my husband was starting residency. So the first like <laughs> first like few years of our res- of our marriage were just rough because we were sleep deprived all the time. And I'm sure that's why a lot of people get divorced, like when they have kids because yeah. you're just tired you know but for us we didn't have children but we were both doctors yeah. you know what i mean so we were just tired and we're we we didn't fight a lot but we just it was just irritable a lot you know it was just like the smallest thing connecting you know yeah yeah empathy fatigue yeah right yeah exactly so so one of the toolkits is a sleep basket <laughs> how you can get better sleep so it's kind of like the the um you know the family doctor and me that we because we tell our kids that to try to limit screen time to two hours but yeah. adults need to be doing trying to do that same thing you know yeah i got I, every time i see my screen time numbers i, I i'm appalled <laughs> i know <laughs> and I, but, but the thing is i know that there's a lot of people doing way worse than me because mine is usually about four hours so yeah, i a little bit more I, I, and i and i work hard on that <laughs> <laughs> right it's and I tell myself it's for work, it's marketing, but ultimately right. it doesn't matter what the excuse and rationalization is. I'm still sucking up those rays, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I definitely, when I see it go above four, so I would love to get it down to two, but if I see it go up to five, I'll be like, oh no, like, <laughs> I gotta get it back down. So I, I'm, I'm glad that the iPhone at least does send that to people so that people can be aware, but a lot of people really don't care. A lot of people don't. Yeah, I've had, they, I moved to paper books recently. Yeah. Because, you know, I can't click another tab open every couple of seconds. Right. I don't get a ton of notifications from a book. So I go hide with a book without my phone or my watch. Right. <laughs> I usually listen to audiobooks. So it's funny about the audiobooks. I have all these books behind me, which you can see because we're on video, but people won't <laughs> be able to see because we're doing the audio. But <laughs> I I listen to audiobooks. And sometimes what happens if I'm sitting and listening to an audiobook and my hands, like have to be doing something so like I said I got a few dollars so what I'll do is often is I'll buy an audiobook and a physical book yeah. and like act like somebody's reading it to me yeah <laughs> that's, that's the best that's the best because that way you won't distract yourself visually and right uh, zone out exactly yeah so I do that or I'll just listen while I go for walks um so I try to do a lot of different things to to work on my screen time to keep it low yeah yeah, it's the little things, you know, we got to return to like eye contact, hugs, you right. know, I yeah. mean, hugs, we've been, we've been in a pandemic. Right. You know, yeah. We've been in, still, it's not like we're out of the pandemic. Right. It's like we've been in this thing so long that uh, to a certain extent, we forgot the things that we took for granted, you know, just the yeah. ability to look at people without being paranoid around them. You know, we went through a period where we didn't want to shake each other's hands you know, we, we have less eye contact and, and, you know, less face recognition practice. And then we turn around and look at faces through the screen. 
And they found that a face through the screen is not the same because you know you're not looking. Uh, first of all, the face on the screen is sort of out of sync, so your mm -hmm. micro expressions are being read differently. You know, whereas normally face to face with someone, the micro expressions on a subconscious level send a message. When you're out of sync with someone, their their micro expressions do not match the moment, and it does something weird to your brain in terms of processing the emotions. Yeah. You know, it, it it it's weird. You know, it's, it's yeah. little things like that that we don't think about as we're spending more time in this technology. We're 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 shifting our way of receiving reality. Right, and that's where I am grateful to have a partner because. I didn't spend this pandemic alone. I couldn't imagine having spent it all by yourself, you know, and I know a lot of people, like, I, I mean, I mentor a lot of students and it was really hard on them. And, you know, a lot of them did what they had to do to, to figure that piece out. Yeah. Um, but for me, I, I talked to a lot of people on the phone. I talked to my, I've always been that way. I, I haven't lived around my family for 12 years. So I talked to my family on the phone. Um, I don't really get on Zoom a whole lot and talk to them, but I talk, you know, I talk to them when I go for walks too. So I kind of alternate between, I have like different things. Sometimes I'm in the mood to listen to books. Sometimes I'm in the mood to have what I call a yappy hour yeah. where, <laughs> where you just walk and talk. So I either do it on my uh, headphones or I'll do it um, in person. Like sometimes I'll walk and talk with a friend in person too. So yeah, no, I'll play out the audio books and, um, Sometimes it'll be something academic. Then if my brain can't take it, then I have to go to the um, stories. Right. Yeah. Um, like I said, during my depression, it was too challenging to laugh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time in uh, sci-fi audio books then. Mm -hmm. You know, even because fantasy. Yeah, yes. Yeah, the fantasy, it's escapist, mm -hmm. you know, and then the, the humor is, it's not laugh humor. It's, huh? <laughs> you know yeah, right. it's like, like total humor it's like, right yeah you know? so it's just uh, a lot of times it's the irony or even escaping to where someone else is going through something worse than you right you know yeah yeah because that's what's kind of interesting about life is that seeing people go through things that are worse than you helps you feel grateful right yep if you choose <laughs> yeah i mean for a lot of people who are interested in gratitude you yeah, know, yeah. you can think about, cause that's the thing. That was one of the biggest things I did with social media. When I was saying I was like kind of being vulnerable, I, I would talk about things I was going through, like my treatment and that sort of thing. But then I also would talk about things I was grateful for, yeah. like going through this with a partner, um, having, having health insurance, um, having a job where I could take days off, that kind yeah. of thing. So it's, you know, you try to find things to be grateful for. And sometimes Sometimes it can be interesting to, to hear other people's stories. I, I feel like I love, like, I don't do a lot of nonfiction because I feel like the stories of people, like the, how they say that, uh, you know, like, I feel like uh, autobiographies are better than fiction because you're just like. A lot going like, on in them. Yeah, yeah. no, like, like you know, like, <laughs> right, exactly. Like, listen to Michelle Obama's book or Gabrielle Union's, her first book, she talked about, like, being like hot box with crack in the car once with her auntie. I was like, wow. what? Wow. Give <laughs> you yeah, yeah, yeah. the real. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like, you know, you you it's just often you're in a, you know, to, to think about just how interesting people's lives are. Um it's just one of those things. I think what is it? The reality is stranger than fiction. Is that what the, the, Absolutely. the quote is? Sure is? Yeah. 
It sure is. Yeah. And I, I could promise you that working on an inpatient psych unit, I yeah. promise you that. <laughs> you know, that, well, that was yeah. one of the things I got to learn is, um, you know, basically my whole job was and still is with the work that I do uh, is just sitting there and listening to stuff people don't talk to anyone about. Right. <laughs> just, right. And I'm like, OK, wow. Right. You know, life life is wild. It is. It really is. And that's what I'm saying. I'm having a, a wild year that I, you know, will write about at some point. But in the meantime, I, I read a lot of people's stories, like um, just all types of stuff. I mostly read, read Black women's stories, but I also will um, read um, Black men as well. I like to read a lot of Black authors. And yeah. I was in a Latinx fraternity, so I'm trying to, trying to expand to more Latinx writers. Um, but I need to get more ideas. I want to read America Ferreira's book. I put it in my toolkit of a collection of stories. Um, I have it, but I haven't started reading it yet. But I, I started reading a little bit just to see like who who all, because she kind of has a collection of like black and brown people's um, stories of immigrants, you know, the story of different types of immigrants. So um, it seems like it would be an interesting one. So I'm planning to, that's going to be my next read. What's the title? I don't, I... It's called American Like Me. Okay, okay. I think I heard my wife mention that. <laughs> yeah, it came out a while ago and I bought it. I feel it. Cause I, I mostly watch Trevor Noah's show. And he gives you all types of book recommendation. He has all types of authors that are there. So that's where I get a lot of my, my curated book list. <laughs> yeah. now, I've, been, I've been living on, on memes and minimal news lately. Yeah. You know, I, I literally, I, I, I barely even read status posts anymore. Yeah. I go in, I scan for pictures that are funny. Yeah. And then I drop in the comments. I just, I had to um, reduce my intake. Right. I had to reduce my intake because... Ultimately, you know, I think of our, our minds and the chemicals going through, you know, ultimately the epigenetics, I right. think of it as something that churns energy, you know, and just if you use your stomach too much, eventually you're going to wear that out. Right. If you're constantly processing irrelevant information and practicing making these models, taking down these models, making these models, taking down these models of stuff that's not relevant to ourselves, you know, at some point, you know, the wiring is going to be less, um, self-centered and not in a bad not self-centered in the bad way but self-centered in a grounded way right but we're, we're disidentified because we're so busy minding all these other businesses the majority of which are negative distorted and amplified right exactly and the competition that people have yeah and that's the other piece that i don't like about social media is people like i said they they feel a need to they feel a need to make a mockery of themselves more um, for and, clout is what they right. say. Anything for clout, yeah, right. people do for the likes. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's that piece, but it's just like the internalized, you know, people seeking an external validation and even their appearance. So I kind of started this podcast actually talking more about like a beauty focus mm -hmm. and just the kind of things that a lot of people do. Just to you know, of course, like this, there's, there's this idea of adornment. Like people have done adornment forever, like with tattoos and piercings and, you know, every society has had different ways that they like, you know, you look at the ancient Egyptians, they always had the women always had heavy makeup. And I feel like the men, the men always had heavy makeup and that yeah. sort of thing. So the <laughs> idea of, is makeup, you know, Let's right, exactly. So the idea of adornment has been around forever, but I feel like the capitalism of it on social media has just been an explosion that really just has created this whole other thing that I don't like my nieces growing up to, you yeah. know? Yeah. Cause I didn't, I didn't have to grow up in that world where like, you know, you're doing it for likes. Like you're literally putting your beauty on display for likes and 
you know, making judgments about yourself and your body and your self-worth. Yeah. I just applying filters, which is a subtle way of telling yourself the way you are isn't good enough. Right, exactly. And just what Everyone, that does to your I'm brain. Broke. Right. And just consuming and just consuming and just always just doing that and altering yourself. Like I don't like the alteration of of yourself that a lot of people do on social media. So I try, I try not to use a lot of filters myself personally. I generally will just if I'm broken out, you're gonna get this okay. broken out face. Yeah. You know? <laughs> this, is out. this is my summer body. <laughs> this exactly. is my summer body. <laughs> exactly so but you get you know you get people commenting on and it's just and so that's one of the things i talked about in that another episode i'm just like can you just ask people if they're okay that's all people that's all you need to ask people right the humanity of it all <laughs> you know can you just stop with all these superficial questions that i don't need i don't need in my life so so yeah but that's you know that's it that's how i try to be honest and funny at the same time because that's that's how I feel about it. I'll just be like, do you do people really care this much? You don't care. You just want to have something to say, and people just want to have something negative. So it's just too much negativity. Yeah. yeah. I saw a meme that was like, uh, life's a wild ride, and you're not gonna make it out alive, so you might as well enjoy it. All <laughs> <laughs> right. That's you what I say too. Like, you might as well enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're all headed to the same place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you're here or you're not. So right, exactly. So it's just fun. help and keep it going, right? Right. But the thing for me is as a geriatrician, like I really want us all to live, to be able to, you know, because you want to see your, you want to grow as yourself. You want to grow with your partner. You want to see your kids grow up. You want to, I want to see my nieces and nephews grow up. So you definitely want to make it a wild ride, but not too wild of a ride, you know? (laughs) Not all the way YOLO. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But it's just trying to find that balance between entertainment versus garbage in your brain and humor that's, you know, at the expense of others and just not trying not to really participate in all that negativity is yeah. is really the key yeah and it's kind of one of those things so i feel like a lot of people participate in a lot of negativity because they're feeling negative about themselves you know people hurt people yeah, yeah exactly so it's all projection yeah right so it's and what you are out there yeah and that's and that's part of why i had to distance myself from a lot of people you know it's kind of like People, there's a lot of people out there who need to heal, and in the process, they throw daggers at you. And so, so like, you know, if you find yourself at a space where people are dissing themselves from you, you might want to look in the mirror and see Why? if you need to get some help <laughs> and heal, you know, yeah. because I, I find that a lot when people are like, well, I was just joking or such and such. And yeah. you're just like, again, nah. it can be a tool for healing or hurting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm not going to keep you here all day. I can talk forever. Uh, that's that's what I do. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And I can listen and talk forever. I appreciate you having me on your show. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. We had a great conversation. My pleasure. My pleasure. I look forward to talking some more in the future. Oh, I'm always down to come back. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Well, do you want to tell people how to follow you and, and get some get some humor in their lives? Absolutely. On Facebook, you could find me under Asylum Papillon, A-S-Y-L-U-M, space P-A-P-I-L-L-O-N. Look for the butterflies. <laughs> and exactly. I'm out there. Uh, same name on Instagram. I don't do much Twitter. Like you said, it's gotten pretty toxic. Uh, if you want mm-hmm. hypno, <laughs> if you're looking for hypnosis, hypnotherapy, or performance coaching, uh, my company is Precision Mindset. Uh, and you could email me, Dr. Manny, uh, D-R-M-A-N-I, at asylumawaits.com, A-S-Y-L-U-M, 
A-W-A-I-T-S.com. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and if it's your people and they mention that they heard through your show, I'll go ahead and give them a session at no charge. Okay, (laughs) awesome. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I will definitely tag you when I post this, um, when I post this, um, you know, the graphic for it. I will tag you in the um, in the post and people can find you there as well. Awesome. And I just really appreciate all the work you do and and you're helping helping me heal and helping other people heal out there. And we all we all need more of that. So go toward the healing people. <laughs> Absolutely. Head for that. <laughs> Thank you so much. No problem. So um, we want to wish everyone a great self-love Saturday. And I want you to always remember that loving yourself is an act of rebellion. See you next time. Bye. Self love Saturday, uplift with love. Self love Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Self love Saturday, uplift with love. Self love Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels.